Right, so that wasn't meant to be Ed Sheeran. Uh, you can blame my producer. Uh, so, uh, good afternoon. It's the Health Hour. I'm Dr. Jonathan Witt, uh, your host for the next hour or so. Uh, great show lined up. Uh, we're going to mix things up a bit. Uh, starting off the show today, we're going to be chatting to the founder of uh, a application called Figure One. Uh, Figure One is essentially, I'll, I'll let him explain it a bit more, but it's essentially uh, uh, Instagram for doctors uh, to share medical pictures, essentially. And uh, the co-founder is Dr. Joshua Landy. Uh, Dr. Landy is a Canadian critical care medicine specialist. Uh, who is also Figure One's Chief Medical Officer. He's obviously a practicing doctor. And in 2012, Joshua was invited to become a visiting scholar at Stanford University, where he researched online and multimedia-orientated approaches to health education. In 2013, he co-founded the mobile health startup Figure One, and we now have an app which you can download onto your phone. Um, so let's chat to Dr. Landy. Do we have him on the line? Dr. Andy. Hi, good morning. Hi, how are oh, you? I guess it's good afternoon. Good, good, good afternoon. Good, good afternoon, good morning. Where, where do we find you today? Uh, here, um, I'm in Toronto, Canada. Okay, all right. So uh, you're, in, you're in Toronto. Um, uh, great to chat to you, and thanks for, thanks for agreeing to come on. Uh, I, I imagine it's the early hours of the morning for you. Uh, no, no trouble at all. Thank you. All right, but you, you were probably used to it being in in critical care. You <laughs> used to having no sleep. Yeah, this is more or less the way my my days at work tend to go. Anyway. All right, cool. Um, all right, so before we get into Figure One, uh, am I correct? You've got a link to South Africa. Uh, yes, um, I personally do, and and so do a few people at Figure One. Uh, my father was raised. Um, he had a, a bit of an itinerant childhood, but he lived uh, he lived in Johannesburg and he lived in Oldtown, uh, East London, and uh, Port Elizabeth uh, throughout his childhood, uh, and then moved to Canada before I was born. Okay, all right. So, and, uh, so this and you you visit a heritage. You visit us. Uh, I personally have not been, but um, uh, my my parents have been back several times to visit. And uh, in fact, my co-founder of Figure One, uh, Gregory Levy, was born and spent his childhood in Johannesburg, uh, as did another one of the, the directors of our company. Um, we're a small company, so when 11% of your company uh, you know, has... Uh, <laughs> South African <laughs> bloodiness. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not counting myself even in that, uh, in that 11%. I got you. Uh, all right, well, uh, it's a long flight, but it's uh, well worth the trip. So uh, I highly recommend it when you're planning your next holiday. Yeah, it's something I would love to do. All right, so let's talk about figure one because uh, I'm guessing you went uh, off uh, when you were at Stanford and, and, and you were researching sort of the health IT side of things and uh, kind of came up with this idea. Is that how it started? Yes. Yes, that's right. Um, I mean, for a long time before that, uh, I had experienced these moments, uh, as I'm sure many healthcare professionals have. Uh, I'm sure you remember from your training. There are these moments when you experience something that is weird and wonderful, something uh, that you know you've, you, you, you know you've never seen before, and you may never see again. And yeah. it's four in the morning, yeah. and there's <laughs> no one uh, to talk to about it, except maybe your senior registrar or your, uh, 
you know, there's one other person you're working with. Yeah. And uh, w- when you encounter these moments, uh, when I when I was training, my uh, my supervisors used to say things like, "You should save this for your teaching file. <laughs> you're not going to see a, an example of this clear again." Um. So that was something that I always grew up with and realized that this is something that no one I trained with ever did. We all had smartphones, and so as I did my residency, smartphones were becoming more and more uh, ubiquitous, yeah. and I saw people start to take pictures. And, and obviously, and that I started. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but obviously uh, before the smartphone, you know, it, it, these were just stories in the tea room, uh, essentially. Uh, there was no way yeah, of, uh, of actually pr- people getting to see all, all this stuff, be it uh, whether you're a surgeon or, or on uh, in, in a physician or, or whatever you're doing. There was no way to say, I, I saw this really amazing thing happen the other day or I took this really amazing mess out of, out of a patient. <laughs> right. I mean, you would have, you'd be able to photocopy or mimeograph, uh, you know, an electrocardiogram or yeah. keep a copy of an X-ray. And that's what a lot of my, my teachers and professors used to do. They would have a desk drawer full of examples of things that they had seen. Yeah. And so whenever we were learning about something, they would trot out the examples and show it to us and say, you know, I saw this case one time where the, you know, <laughs> and they would tell these sort of glory stories. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, as things sort of move forward, that paradigm is, is adjusting. I mean, not that visual learning is anything new in medicine, right? No, not, uh, not- Pictures published. Yeah, not at all. It's uh, it's 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 how we learn. I mean, anatomy, as an example, is 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 a physical physical thing because it's easier to learn a three dimensional object if you can see it. Of course, of course. So you know, it wasn't any surprise to learn uh, when we did a bit of research and looked into it that this is a habit that has been spontaneously adopted by. Uh, I mean, if you extrapolate tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people worldwide, mm. um, but certainly tens of thousands of people in, across North America are doing this type of behavior every day, where they're taking a picture of something uh, that they see either because it's classic, so it's like a textbook classic version of it, or if they're seeing something because it's an incredibly rare presentation uh, of, of a particular disease. Yeah, and, and, and so once we realize and we've got doctors sharing this uh, probably amongst uh, their own sort of chat groups or, or via email. Uh, it's happening anyway, that's, as you say. Yes, that's exactly right. People are doing it. They're not doing it to document uh, and send to medical journals, although that does happen, yeah. uh, of course. But uh, mostly it's just for either preservation for later or for sending by text message or by email, um, which, is, which is great to promote learning. But one of the things that doesn't do is it doesn't protect patients' privacy uh, when mm. you do things that way. Those those media uh, those media are not secure. They're not privacy safe, uh, and they don't hold up to privacy standards. When you could think of making sure that all the images have been appropriately de-identified, yeah, um, patients may have consented mm. to take a picture for you to show, you know, a few other doctors, is- but they probably didn't consent. For yeah, you to share their healthcare information with everyone, the the whole internet. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so the app essentially. Uh, let, let's talk about uh, the development uh, of the app, uh, the technology a, a bit behind it, uh, and 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 what the app does. Sure. Um, I'm I'm not a software developer myself, um, 
you know, I have an interest in software design, but, you know, writing computer code is not something that I could do myself. Yeah. I, uh, I was fortunate enough to have dinner with um, a close friend of mine, uh, who is now the, uh, my co-founder, Gregory, and uh, a friend of his, Richard. Yeah. And Richard is a, uh, a developer, and he used to work for a, an e-book reading company, and that company had been purchased, and so he was looking for something new to start on his own. His own. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I told him about the idea, he thought this was something that he could develop a, a prototype for uh, using the um, uh, the iPhone. He he programs for iPhone. Okay. So he he put together a prototype, which was literally just a blank white screen with a single button, and mm-hmm. you could take a picture and then you could send that picture back and forth. And so the three of us quickly, you know, dreamed about what this could eventually become. This white screen with a button. And <laughs> when, slowly, when was this? Got, uh, so this was um, just just before, this is just the end of the year in 2012. Right. And then you uh, went from, so you we went from there and, 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 and it grew. Yeah, we started the company officially in January 2013 and uh, we hired a couple of people, one to uh, start uh, you know, building out the application and software, and um, by May we were ready to launch in the App Store. And we initially launched on um, on iPhone only. Although shortly after that, it became obvious that uh, there's a big demand for Android and for being just simply on the web. And so yeah. we we built out the technology on both of those platforms uh, in the fall of 2013. And since then, we've been having a really nice reception from the healthcare community around the world as, as we launch in various countries. Uh, as you know, we, we just launched in South Africa yep. uh, last week. I think you're going to get uh, some great is, content uh, from South Africa because uh, we, re- we really do see some stuff uh, you probably don't find uh, that commonly in the rest of the world, uh, certainly in terms yeah, of it in an African context. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, that's something that was really, well, me in particular, um, being the, the only doctor, uh, I think, I mean, we're a small company, but, I, you know, I'm particularly looking forward to seeing different types of health uh, topics emerge in conversation, and particularly in photographs, because, as you know, like, it's, it's such a rich, medicine is such a rich visual medium, so seeing, seeing the unique challenges of African, and particularly South African doctors, it's something that I think we're really going to uh, benefit from seeing here in North America. Yeah, and uh, and and vice versa. I think uh, there's there's good content. I I actually uh, downloaded the app. I think just before your launch in South Africa, but it uh, allowed me to access it, so it must have been enabled already. And uh, just to explain to the listeners uh, uh, what the app does. So essentially, it kind of looks a little bit like Twitter. Um, in that, uh, the, the, the screen has, uh, images on it and then underneath each image you, uh, have a description. So that'll be, uh, whatever, uh, the, the image is. If someone's taken a picture of a, uh, a joint, for example, and, uh, they want to describe rheumatoid arthritis, uh, so they'll say that this is rheumatoid arthritis and, and how the patient perhaps presented. 
uh, and, and that, that will apply to many different uh, examples. Uh, you can obviously go through all the images that have been uploaded. It's quite nice um, from my perspective in that you can actually select uh, your speciality uh, and then uh, narrow it down. So uh, if you are completely disinterested in orthopedics, uh, you don't have to see the orthopedic stuff. You can just see uh, the stuff you are interested in. Uh, and then uh, in addition to that, you can uh, you can also follow follow certain uh, uh, accounts. Is that cr- correct? Yes, that's right. We we just started, built that feature um, less than a month ago when that feature was ready. So you can follow users who you like or who post interesting content that you want to follow them. Um, and so following has been, it's, it's had a nice reception so far. I mean, some people only want to see what their friends and colleagues are seeing. And so we give them the option. Other people want to see everything they can. Like, uh, you know, a key medical student may want to see everything that they can. Yeah, on, on, a, on that, that specific like. subject. All right, so so it's it's available here. Um, so here, the big question that's obviously going to be asked: uh, we, we're uploading uh, images of of patients. Uh, how do you guarantee the the sort of privacy of the patients and the ethics of the doctors? <laughs> well, um, there's a number of steps in between the patients and the doctor, um, and some of those steps happen even before. Um, before figure one enters the picture, like, you know, knowing to have a, a lot of doctors, you know, you develop a rapport with your patients and you gain their permission and trust and you ask them the question, can I take a picture of this to share with, uh, with other people? Um, you know, right in the app, there is a built-in uh, South Africa-specific consent form. So, if, you know, when you present your phone to the patient, they can actually sign the screen uh, with language that's easy to understand uh, that uh, we had um, constructed specifically according to the privacy laws in South Africa. So, um, you know, when the patients can sign that, that consent form to have their, their uh, permission given, the doctor can take a picture with their smartphone, um, and those images, when they get uploaded, get run through a face-detecting algorithm. So it looks for uh, any, any potential faces there, and, and it's got a face-blocking system, so it blocks that out. Yeah. Uh, after that, there's there's some instructions on the screen that tell you that you have to remove identifying details, uh, and if you if you you know it can give you a list. There's a there's a long list of other things that count. But, as uh, be things like a name yeah. on a CT scan or a, or, or, or or on top of an X-ray uh, or something That's like right. that. Yeah, I mean, as you know, sometimes with the you know in the corners of some of these uh, tests. Patient's number, name, or uh, date, uh, mm. and when you take pictures of patients themselves, their, their bodies, things like tattoos. Um, so anything that could potentially cause a patient to be, be identified, to be able to be identified. Absolutely. All right. So, um, yeah, sorry, carry on. Well, after the images are taken, we uh, we look at them. We've got a privacy moderation team that reviews every image annually to make sure that the the healthcare professionals have done it properly. Um, and then only after that step has occurred, the images can be shared publicly on Figure One. All right. So it's actually it's there's quite a process it goes through. It's not as simple as uploading an image onto Facebook or Twitter uh, or Instagram as it happens. Uh, it's uh, you know there is a lot of approval behind the scenes that that happens before that image lands you know in in people's hands. And I'm sure you guys are hoping in in potentially millions of doctors' hands. Okay, that, well, that's, that's the hope for sure. All right, and. Um, 
So is the app limited to doctors? What if there's someone with an interest and they, uh, you know, they, they want to learn? Yeah, so the app is currently available in both the app stores, uh, you know, for Google and for, uh, for Android devices and for Apple devices. Um, but the, the, and because of that, it's, it's anybody can download it on their phone. But in order to... Oh, sorry, I'm just going to have to stop you. The, the line's gone quite bad. Uh, we've uh, we, we've sort of lost you a bit. Let's try you again. Is, is that better? Yeah, that's better. Sorry about that. Um, in order to join the conversation or add any content or upload anything, you must be a healthcare professional. Okay. Um, so you, we, you, know, you, we invite people. you can be a general member of the public and you can view content, but you're not going to be able to add content. That's right. I mean, re- truly, I think a lot of the conversations there um, aren't uh, aren't necessarily all that interesting to people who haven't been training in healthcare. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of built in. It uses a lot of the language that healthcare professionals are used to, uh, and certainly uh, the images as well. Um, you know, the, the images are built for a healthcare audience. Yeah. So it's it's not. Uh... It's not going to be uh, almost Grey's Anatomy friendly. It's not going to. It's not. It doesn't come with a story, and it's uh, not dumbed down. It's very much uh, aimed at medical professionals. But but if you're, for example, uh, you know, in in the states, in Canada, you, you were pre med, or in South Africa, similar examples. If you were doing a, a basic science degree and, and looking to get into medicine, um, then then you, you may be of interest to you. Yeah, that's. I, I would say that's correct. Yeah. All right. Um, so. How how is it going? How many countries are you in? So South Africa is our uh, seven official countries that we've launched in: uh, Canada, United States, uh, UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. Um, Glad we made the grade. And so uh, things things <laughs> also, it's, you know it was a country we were looking forward to very much. But making sure we do a thorough legal review each country we go into is so important because of all the privacy concerns. Yeah. And so doing that one by one uh, is is taxing because, uh, as you might imagine, we're we're a small company. We don't have you know we don't have a lot of access to lawyers and mm. and everybody's time is so dedicated to each task as we do it. So everything must be so deliberate. So um, which territory was has been the hottest so far? Is not not America surely the U.S. Um, well, it, that might have been the hardest, but it was the first one that we uh, the first one that we tackled. Yeah, um, we launched in Canada and the United States. So the having few both both of those reviews. <laughs> um, funny story: when we were launching the app, the technology was finished uh, sometime in March or beginning of April, but because of the privacy legislation. Um, and, and, and the research that we had to do, mm. we weren't able to finish the legal review until the end of May. So for two months, the app was done, and we didn't want to put it in the store until all the legal things were sorted out. So, you know, our team was uh, working on side projects and building up the inventory for the uh, for the app. And so we just uh, we basically had to wait. We had to wait for the lawyers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, you want to find yourself. Yeah, the next the next goal uh, would would be I assume to try and move into the countries where uh, where English is the non primary language in terms of medicine. Yes, that's right. I mean, 
because uh, English tends to be the language that a lot of medical professionals say publish in, um, you know that there's some familiarity there. Yeah. So, you know, as we grow the community, um, there's going to be a lot of English up front, and then as the community evolves in each jurisdiction, um, we'll obviously permit people to communicate in their own language. So, it, you know, it's going to be a, a bit of an interesting transition, certainly for, uh, for us. Sorry, carry on. No, no, I was just saying, you know, these types of challenges are, are interesting ones, both in medicine and technology. Yeah, it, 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 it should be interesting because it's going to, it'll almost grow itself, uh, as a, you know, you, you kind of don't, not going to control the growth and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, but are you able to tell me, uh, you know, numbers so far? How, how many people have you got registered? So, uh, our last big announcement was that we had 150,000 healthcare professionals, uh, in, wow. those, uh, in those countries, um, which is, which is great. I mean, if you consider, like, even a country as big as uh, the United States has, you know, only 800,000 physicians. So the fact that uh, our audience has been growing uh, to that size so so early um, has been nice for us. Uh, I can say in North, I, I don't know the numbers uh, outside of North America, but uh, in Canada and the United States, 25% of medical students uh, are using Figure One in their medical education. Hmm. And any buy-in, um, uh, any major buy-in from uh, universities yet as a as a as a specific training tool? Well, we haven't we haven't been pitching it that way actually. Um, it, we, our goal has always been to reach the individual uh, healthcare professionals, so mm. the student, you know, medical and nursing students, or um, people, you know, residents and fellows in different countries themselves. Um, we 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 do get approached from time to time by various organizations. Um, and, you know, some very nice universities and some prominent universities <laughs> have approached yeah. us about, about developing things. But for now, I think we want to we wanna stay focused on making sure that we deliver the best product to the people who are using it. Okay. And uh, I suppose the uptake will be there anyway, uh, but it, it should be interesting to see it evolve as a teaching tool. Uh, if, uh, and, and speaking about the teaching tool side, if, if I see something on the app and I, uh, you know, my phone screen is quite small, I then want to take that image, um, and use it in a lecture. How, how do we go about doing that? Well, right now, uh, we haven't built any tools for those images to be uh, taken outside of figure one. Mm. Um, mostly that was built on our concerns that some of the images uh, can be a little bit hard to look at, uh, given the, the nature of medical content. And to make sure that those, uh, that, you know, the, uh, the context that the image was taken in uh, is preserved in the, for the context that the, um, you know, that the viewer sees it, uh, we haven't built tools like that, mostly out of the concern that the images may be misrepresented somewhere. Um, however, it's the, because your phone is a small screen, we have built it so that any device that accesses the web can be shared. Uh, so if you wanted to show it in a presentation, you could certainly, you know, just transition quickly to the app where the image can be waiting on okay. the screen of any computer. And you view it through the app? Uh, yeah, you can, you can share it through the app. There's some easy share functions to, to let, uh, you know, the images just be sent to individual people hmm. um, if, if you wanted to, to do it that way. All right, and uh, um, occasionally, oh, oh, occasionally, occasionally we've taken some of the images. Sorry, I was just saying. Occasionally, we've taken some of the images and um, licensed them to educational sites um, 
And so, you know, like a, a medical education blog or a textbook. Yeah. Um, I, I think even there's an emergency physician who is um, publishing a book and he was looking for a couple of images of uh, certain techniques in emergency medicine. So he came to us and we were able to supply them because, you know, the spirit, uh, the spirit is certainly right you know, in, in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. No, well, I mean, if, if the whole idea is it's an educational tool. Um, where where are we going to next? What's uh, so? What what are the plans? Without uh, disclosing <laughs> uh, too much. No, no, I don't. I can I can certainly disclose a little bit. Um, we're going to be uh, launching through Western Europe, uh, hopefully through the rest of 2014, uh, and then over the next six months uh, throughout Africa. And then hopefully the rest of the world uh, shortly after that. Um, I expect uh, <laughs> if we were to speak a year from now, um, we hope uh, at least that we'll be able to be successful in launching uh, just globally and be able to put the uh, put the app in all the app stores around the world. Okay, that sounds uh, sounds excellent. So, uh, Joshua, thank you so much for for chatting to us for staying up until the wee hours of the morning. Um, it's, uh, I can, I can tell listeners, those of, those of you who are involved in the medical field, we have quite a few of them who listen. Uh, I've used the app, uh, extensively and, uh, I'm enjoying it a lot so far. Uh, I, I think from our side, you know, there's a lot of things I've seen in my practice and I, I, exactly as you say, you look at it and you go, I'm never going to see this again. Or, uh, this is a freak accident and, uh, it's just, uh, it's just something you, 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 you never see. It's a once in a career type of, type of thing. Uh, and those, those are great to upload. Um, and now you can kind of share them with your medical colleagues across the world. So I imagine the networking that will happen as a result of this, um, will also be excellent. Um, anything else you, you, you want to tell us as a, as a parting shot? I mean, it's, it's, it's simply exciting for me to see that the, um, the development of all these social habits that we have, these social network and social media habits that we've been developing sort of by accident, but now we can actually put these skills to use and, and have some, you know, some benefits to, uh, to your profession about that. Yeah. So that's something that I, I'm particularly excited about. And, you know, hopefully we'll see it continue to grow. So and, the, and I really appreciate you having me on. No, no problem. The, the intellect, should we call it the intellectual use of social media rather than the mindless use of it? Yeah, I like that. I like, I like that. All right. Uh, Dr. Joshua Landy from Toronto in Canada, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Uh, and um, we'll take you up on that offer to catch up with you in a year's time and see how you're doing. All right. Thanks a lot. I look forward to it. Gentlemen. Thanks very much. Cheers. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have Catherine Child from The Times for our health news this week. I don't know. 
hardcore. Fast food beats are all you need to fill this dance floor. I used to ride on a rocket to the moon. When I show By Goldfish, I think. Jeez, look at that. I know my music. Uh, not really. Right, so we have Catherine on the line. Catherine, how are you? Great, yourself? I'm all right. Uh, you were uh, half an hour ago stuck in, on some dirt road in Mulder's Drift. Is that correct? Oh, yes, it was. I've been driving around the farmlands of Mulder's Drift. You know they've invented this thing called GPS, eh? Do you know why we got lost? My colleague and I both got lost because the GPS boat took us the wrong way, which everybody laughs at us. It happens every time. So <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, trusting the machines, eh? They, it's, uh, they're secretly out to get you. Um, all right, so tell us what's in the news this week. A lot of litigation is in the news this week. Oh, good, because our next guest, sorry just to interrupt, but our next guest is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a lawyer who deals with, uh, with health law. So uh, Adele van der Waals will be joining us after you just to discuss some of the litigation. Um, so tell us, oh, about, so tell us about who's getting sued. Okay, well, first of all, the first litigation is um, hopefully something that Adele van der Waals would not be doing. But this mother from... Gauteng, who I would not have very nice things to say about, has decided to sue the Gauteng government because they gave her daughter the HPV vaccine. Now, this vaccine is being rolled out to grade fours in government schools, to pre- and they need two, of, two shots because they're young, mm-hmm. to prevent these girls getting cervical cancer later in like 20, 30 years' time. And this woman claims that she did not sign the consent form, and the Department of Health went ahead and vaccinated the child in the first dose. And so... She's now saying the child got sick, and she wants to sue, sue both departments. Good luck to her. How did the child get sick? Is the child still alive? Of course the child's still alive. There we go. So um, she must build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the, the lawyers are going to have to say, but I remember I'm um, writing about this HPV vaccine, and Professor Reese from Vitz was saying they've 
done more than 100 million doses of this vaccine have been given worldwide. Absolutely fantastic. And everyone's fine except the girl um, (laughs) whose mom is suing the department. Then... I just, I just want to say about that, that just about the cervical uh, vaccine, we must actually, I'll get a guest on the show one day, but we'll talk about gynecological cancers, but um, that is the number one cancer that kills women in South Africa, is cervical cancer. Yep, more than breast um, cancer. More than breast cancer, more than skin cancer, more than any lung cancer. The top cancer in South Africa is cervical cancer, and it is a completely preventable cancer. So um, uh, if there's one vaccine I'm very pro, uh, and I'm pro all of them, but if there's one vaccine I'm really am pro, it's that, that new um, HPV vaccine and a wonderful initiative by, by the Department of Health. Right, so who else is suing us? Oh, um, well, there's a lawyer, Gary Orson, and he's saying that every single time, and he's always suing the government because counting Department of Health because of all these women who have babies that are brain damaged because they don't get seizures in time. And mm-hmm. he's come out this week and said, hang on, every single time that the court rules that the Housing Department of Health owes me $6 million, or his client, or $12 million, I have to attach the assets. Yeah, I heard um, something about this, about uh, the, there was a judgment for $6 million and they haven't paid the lady out. Yeah, and then he attaches the asset, but then the Department of Health had come out a few weeks ago and said, oh, no, no, it's a mistake, we didn't pay her out, and... Our assets needed to be attached. Like, this is not a usual occurrence. And he's come out and said, well, I've got 12, 12 outstanding judgments against the Department of Health where they've been ordered by the court to pay and they haven't done so. And then he goes to the sheriff and they attach the assets and then the department has two weeks to pay. Mm. He says they usually pay on the last day. So when those assets are about to actually be physically removed, then suddenly the money's there. Mm. And, um, yeah, he's after they um, obey the court. Well, I mean, there's an interesting editorial in the South African Medical Journal this month uh, on uh, the mediation around uh, lawsuits to try to sort of uh, bring it down, um, uh, you know, in, in terms of that we probably shouldn't be suing each other as much as we are. You know, the SMJ is really worth reading, the pages and pages and pages of it. But, I mean, it's quite scary because they're saying, well, one day we're not going to have neurosurgeons because of they're being sued so much. And yeah. it is, it's a nice editorial saying, well, overseas, they are actually using mediation to try and stop some of this litigation. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because... in it, Florida. Something I actually want to discuss with our next guest, which is, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of litigious nature that we're starting to take on um, and uh, almost, almost uh, not as bad, but uh, how the American system is, is, is run, where, whereby if, if there's a bad outcome... Uh, then you sue the doctor. Well, we're almost as bad. It sounds like if, if you have to believe what's said in the SAMJ. And, and just in his editorial, he states, uh, this is um, Dr. Johan Waters from UCT. Mm. Sorry, I'm on a farm. I don't know if you can hear the tractors in the background. No, no, don't worry. No, no tractors. This line is better than my previous guest. That was all the way to Canada. So don't worry. We, we're on good footing. <laughs> He says now in Florida, before the litigation can proceed, they have to refer the complaint to mediation, uh, and and it's been working. I'm sure. I'm sure because court you sit, cases were abandoned and 42 were settled. You sit around the table and you thing. discuss these things uh, logically. Yeah, please ask your guests why there are no pediatric neurosurgeons left in private practice. <laughs> and the uh, answer well, in the SMJ is that they can't afford they can't the litigation, take the risk. so none, none left. All right, so um, what's the story about fish oil? 
quite interesting because I don't like vitamins because the data usually shows that they don't really work. Mm, but and there's a, there's actually study, a trial that showed uh, if you eat vit- if you take vitamins daily, you're more likely to die that, uh, earlier um, than someone who doesn't take vitamins daily. It's just one trial, but I'm, I'm just I'm putting it out there. There's been more than one. I'll send you some. There was. <laughs> There were three published last year yeah, in December. The systematic review were then then done on those. But uh, tell us tell us about these fish oils again, which we're telling being told about. So these fish oils um, were given to people at risk of psychosis. So hopefully no one is listening. But people who are it's very probably one in three people who are, who are listening. <laughs> people who have schizophrenia and are likely to become psychotic, and. After seven years, the, pe- the, the patients who'd been on the fish oils as opposed to the placebo, which was nothing, were far, far, far likely to have developed psychosis. Now, what is quite interesting is that this is the More likely or less likely with the fish oils? Much less likely. Oh, less likely. Fish oil. okay. Good fish oils, it's good this- people. <laughs> no, it was really good. Um, it's the second time they've done a study, so it was mm. a much bigger one. And they're quite um, positive about it because of the... Um, because they're about to release results of a third set of studies, which were done across Europe and America and Asia, on people at risk of psychosis. And they'll know in March from that if they can actually recommend that they take fish oil. So it's been pretty extensive research. It's not just a little silly trial. All right, so that's that's, that's good news, Uh, which is interesting because, I mean, a while back, uh, you know, they were telling everyone to have omega-3s and 6s and so on and so forth, and then there was some uh, work that was based on some evidence that showed it was good for your heart, and then there was another study that came out that said, look, can't really say that it's definitely doing much there. So interesting to see that it probably works for some things and not for others. Yeah, and they're not saying your heart. Um, And they're very... Like a normal professor, and not like these cracks you saw vitamins and clicks and other stuff, <laughs> are saying, look, it only works if you're at high risk of psychosis and you're not yet psychotic. Um, and they're really hoping it can replace antipsychotic drugs in specific cases. Hmm, that's interesting. So uh, there you go, with all you folk who believe in your natural remedies. Uh, perhaps uh, there's a uh, very uh, inverted commas natural remedy. Uh, Catherine, should we leave it there and uh, we'll chat again next week? Yeah, great. Thanks so much. Uh, You're chat welcome. to you next week. Uh, okay, that's Catherine Child from the Times, uh, health journalist at the Times newspaper. Um, we will take a quick break and uh, when we come back, we'll be chatting to Adolfo de Vault all about all these lawsuits.
we're back. The last uh, sort of 10, 15 minutes of the health hour, we're going to dedicate to an interesting topic. We, we, we went into it a little bit with Catherine, um, and that is uh, health litigation. Um, we've, uh, we seem to, at least from uh, my perspective as a medical professional, it seems to be coming more common for uh, patients certainly to uh, – see this as an avenue to resolve their issues, um, be it uh, uh, with their doctor, with their hospital. Um, on the line, I've got uh, Dal van der Valt. Dal um, is a lawyer, an advocate. Dal, sorry, I, I'm not sure your exact background. Do you just want to give us a bit of a, a bit of a summary? Hi, Jonathan. Good day. Yes, I'm a practicing attorney specializing in medical law in general and then more specifically with regards to fertility law and the medical negligence. All right. So, all right. So, this is this is your field. Um, are you usually uh, representing uh, doctors or the plaintiffs? We do usually represent patients right throughout the country, both in the private and the public sector. So that means we a patient was treated in a private hospital or mm. in a public hospital. But then, of course, we don't have legislation where doctors or any other medical personnel should have insurance. That's now coverage for any. Litigation, so it happens from time to time that we do represent doctors or medical personnel in this regard mm. as well. All right. Well, th- I mean, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we don't have too much time, but I just uh, I wanted to chat about it uh, in terms of firstly uh, what uh, you're seeing a lot of, and 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 if there is uh, from your perspective an increase um, in the medical uh, uh, side of things and and the legal. Um, well, suing essentially. Uh, so, sure. so is, is there is there a major increase in this? Is is, this, is it picking up? Yes, I think if I can qualify and tell you why, since 1994 we have the uh, constitution, and all public people, the consumer, are more aware of their rights. They're more informed, mm. and they obviously want to take recourse uh, or obtain further information to get answers on what the situation is. We've got the National Health. Act, which was first um, a bill as well, so that's yeah. addressing basic rights like dignity, privacy, mm. the right to get information, etc. So the consumer is much more aware, but I think also the fact that the number of claims are increasing is accountability on the one side. For a number of years, we really had a problem in the health sector um, where, you know, it's poor management, it's misdiagnosis of, mm. of specific uh, clinical conditions. And obviously we know that a doctor is just as good as his supporting structure. And yeah, we definitely have a problem with the quality and experience of the general nursing staff in public and private sector. Sure. So I think, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's very fair comment. Um, all right. So what are, what are a lot of the cases you're dealing with? Is it, is it uh, the stuff we expect? So the, uh, you know, uh, childbirth scenarios, all of the stuff that in around that sort of time, uh, or is it also picking up in, in, in other areas too? Okay. I think I should first distinguish and um, explain this to the, to the consumer and the listener. Hmm. The law is saying the facts do not speak for itself. It's just a Latin saying, that means that if someone knocks on my door, so to speak, and then a wheelchair or someone passed on, the fact or the severity of a matter is not indicative of negligence. Mm. It's important to investigate each and every matter. So mm. it's not possible to say with this set of facts, it's always a case of negligence. You may have a slight twist in facts, um, and that may mean the one has a substantial claim and the other no claim at all. This happens. 
So to answer you directly on what, where is it increasing, a misdiagnosis in, in, uh, in any field in, in, the, in the casualty ward, mm. whether it's um, an organ failure, whether it is heart attack, it's not a proper, proper diagnosis and the timing is an accurate management of a patient, whether it's a fracture where uh, in the casualty ward they misdiagnose it and do not treat it, it's misalignment. Mm. Even sometimes we see a function impairment due to that specific way casualty starts and deal with it. Yes, of course, we do have a lot of birth, um, birth injuries, poor management of patients. This happens mainly in, in, in the public sector, but I must say it happens in private sector as well. And then obviously it happens quite often that you have an acute condition in ICU and where the experienced and qualified nurses are just not there. Mm. So it happens often that, especially during night hours, people are not necessarily awake. They should monitor the patients actively. But also, especially in rural areas where you're supposed to arguments like in a ICU neonatal area, that's where you've got little small babies. Mm. The ratios should be one-on-one. Uh, we do not have this kind of staff in the country for the last five to seven years. So we, the ratio should be one-on-one. Even in private hospitals, it's usually one to four, sometimes one to six. So for an sure. experienced, qualified nurse to look after six acute, sick babies, it's not possible to maintain a quality of service. Okay. All right. So um, just uh, also to just go back to something you said there, each case then is looked at on its on its own merit. So there's no kind of, well, we've had a similar case before we found uh, in the doctor's favor, in the, the patient's favor, and then we just go with that. Every single case looked at on its own specific merit, um, understanding that medicine is, is quite complex. Yeah, what is important here is to distinguish between negligence per se, that's where something really went wrong, and it does not adhere to the standards of the reasonable doctor test. So I usually explain if you've got a gynecological orthopedic problem, mm. eight out of ten doctors, if the eight out of ten doctors would have done the same kind of procedure, same protocol, which is professional procedure, the doctor adheres to the specific standards which is required from him or her in the profession. Mm. On the other hand, we've got unethical or unprofessional conduct, which is not necessarily the same as negligence. So if you feel that you, you have not been accurately informed or the doctor has discussed your facts or on your file with someone else without your permission, that's unethical and unprofessional conduct. And for that, you have to lodge a complaint with the Health Professions Council if it's a nurse with a nursing council. Sure. All right. Um, just uh, maybe if we can get into a little bit uh, more of the opinion-based side of things, which is uh, uh, just a bit earlier in the show, I, I was chatting to uh, one of our regular guests, uh, journalist at the Times, and um, she was uh, talking about an article in the uh, SAMJ uh, that's just come out, um, which is entitled Mediation um, Over Litigation. Um, and uh, is basically saying uh, that the sort of litigious nature of things is sometimes not the best um, ultimately um, and is making an argument for the fact that the more we litigate, uh, it often scares professionals away. And uh, one of the examples cited in that um, piece is that we no longer have pediatric neurosurgeons in the private sector uh, and the the reasoning given is that uh, they're just basically too scared. So uh, the outcomes are often poor. It's uh, high-risk surgery. Uh, and so 
uh, they just don't do it anymore. What's your what's your view on that? I think the number of litigation cases are definitely increasing for a number of reasons. Mm. One is poor quality of service, definitely, but the legal profession is also responsible for this. It's a, it's a discussion on its own. I'll keep it short, but there's definitely a focused change. Yeah. A number of attorneys in the profession dealt with NDA matters, which is third-party claims. Yeah, which, which used to be chasing injury. after the RAF. Okay, oh. now an, a, a huge portion of this fell away. Yeah. And it's a, a focused change to, to try and sustain business. Having said that, so it's important that when a, an attorney advises a client on a possible claim, the merit should be investigated. It's not to say that each and every claim that's instituted is a real claim, because yeah. some attorneys do not do a merit investigation beforehand. Mm. And, so and that plays a role. Oh, it's time-consuming for an expert to go to court. Mm. That's a rea- reality. Mm. In a nutshell, with mediation, I think there's a place for mediation. Uh, with regard to this kind of work, it's, it's quite problematic with your law of evidence and how you go about leading evidence with an expert and with mediation, it's not 100% the same. Mm. Having said that, with any arbitration or mediation, it's usually by agreement. It's quite uh, efficient and it's definitely shorter, but it's much more costly. Before you can appoint someone as a mediator or an arbitrator, someone must secure those funds up front. Mm. And usually with these kind of matters where where someone is a claimant, a plaintiff, Mm. that suffered emotionally physically and financially. So there's room for it, but obviously there are a number of things to, to agree. And perhaps something that could be looked at uh, more from the Department of Health and uh, establishing a, a process which would make it easier for patients to access those kinds of uh, facilities. Um, all right. Uh, so so I, I think interesting what you said there, which is um, – and we have to wrap up, but it's interesting uh, to to say, look, obviously there's responsibility in terms of the healthcare providers um, and the, the, the structures around that, um, but uh, equally so, uh, you know, the legal profession uh, needs to approach it uh, responsibly. And uh, I know a lot of my colleagues get very upset with these adverts that they hear on radio stations, uh, you know, uh, uh, prompting people to uh, whatever problem they've had with a doctor to please come and bring it forward and, and, and see if, uh, you know, they can get some, squeeze some money out of it. Um, so uh, would we say that we're trying to avoid that kind of situation at least? I think the most important thing from my side is to empower the general public and the consumer. Be aware of facts. Make sure if you sign something, you read that document because you found it. It's an agreement. Make sure if you give informed consent for a procedure, you understand what they're saying to you. Partake in the negotiation process. Be informed. And by that, you are empowered as a patient. Okay. And the common mistake doctors make, is it that they don't write notes properly and therefore can't back up what they did? Or is it uh, also a communication issue and that patients just don't understand and that's often uh, the, the, the issue that comes across? With any claim for damages, you must be able to prove that your damages is a direct result of negligence. So if it's something that would have happened in any event, it's not part of a claim or a legal argument, so to speak. Having said that, it is important still that the management between doctor and nursing staff should be accurate and concise on a daily basis. It doesn't happen, especially in the public sector. Mm. It happens often that people arrive late for shifts. The previous shift people, the doctor or the nursing staff, have left already. So there's no continuity. 
Mm. We have to change the culture around where we actually care for the patient and adhere to the ethics in that specific discipline, whether it's a nursing sister or whether it's a doctor. All right. Uh, Adele, thank you so much for joining us. Um, obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a very broad topic, and uh, perhaps we can have a, an additional show at some point to expand on it uh, and discuss the specifics. But thank you so much for, for coming on and, and uh, giving us uh, that info. Thanks, Jonathan. All the best. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Uh, right. So uh, I'm getting shouted at from everywhere because uh, I'm over time, uh, but uh, I'll be forgiven, I'm sure, eventually. Uh, that's the end of the health hour for the week. Uh, next week, we uh, have uh, Jack Bloom from the DA uh, coming into studio. Uh, going to discuss uh, his involvement uh, in health, which he's been involved in over many years in trying to improve the health care to uh, delivery to South African citizens uh, and all people who present to p- public institutions. Uh, so it should be a really interesting chat. Please uh, listen in. Remember, you can download any of the shows from the website as a podcast. And I'm Dr. Jonathan Witt. I'll chat to you next week.